and Blessed Imbolc. Welcome back to A Pagan Heart in Maine, and on today's episode I have a wonderful interview with Jane Rayburn, author of Celtic Wicca, Ancient Wisdom for the 21st Century, co-author of Building a Magical Relationship, and editor of The Pagan's Muse. Music on today's show is from Blackmore's Night, Celtic Legend, Gaia Consort, and Lorelei. And to start us off today, I have a different take on a song that Richie Blackmore made famous with the band Rainbow. Here is Richie Blackmore and Candace Knight with Blackmore's Night, Street of Dreams.
Clowns are evil. They just are. Ask any six-year-old. I mean, they're okay when they're on TV or in a circus, but put a clown within arm's reach of a six-year-old and watch. Children know, and I know, because I used to be a clown. When you're young, you sometimes have funny ideas of what constitutes a viable career option in today's world. For me, it was being a clown. I figured, how hard could it be? Do a little juggling, go a little overboard with the makeup, and then just sit back and make millions of dollars as many clowns of the world have done in the past. Yeah. What can I say? I was young. What they don't tell you is that just like the Jedi, there is a dark side. I first came to realize this when I received a call from a young couple who wanted a birthday clown for their five-year-old daughter. The call went sort of like this. Hello? Yes, hello. Are you a birthday clown? Why, yes. Yes, I am. We would like to hire you for our five-year-old's birthday party. Okay. I charge $50 for a half-hour show or $80 for an hour. Well, there's only one thing. She's deathly afraid of clowns. Oh, okay. So what you really want me to do is torture the child you love and adore. Well, in that case, for an extra $20, I can bring a bloody axe to chase her around the house, and you get to keep the axe so that in several years when she's blocked out this disturbing episode from her life, you can just leave it on her bed with a note saying, I'll be back. Well, that's what I thought of saying. What I did say was, that's okay, she'll be just fine. It was the thought of the axe that gave me the idea that I may have been leaning toward the evil side of clowning. I showed up at their house and walked into a group of about 12 children. I noticed the birthday girl immediately. She was the one standing and staring at me with a look of frozen terror on her face. Of course, the other children clapped and shouted for joy. The clown is here, the clown is here. Of course, they were all happy because they know that the clown had not come for them. Back to the birthday girl. Her eyes were wide as saucers, and I saw what was reflected in those eyes when she looked at me. She saw hair like the flames of hell licking a bleached white skull, lips and chin stained red from the blood of its innocent victims, painted eyebrows raised high in judgment over all it surveyed. Heck, it scared even me. So for the next hour, I entertained the kids while the five-year-old birthday girl made sure to put other kids between me and her. I could see the thoughts in her brain. Why did my parents do this to me? Here, take Billy. Billy would love to be dragged to his doom. Here, how about little Susie? I didn't even invite the little thumbsucker. My mom made me invite her. Take her, O spawn of Satan. It was a funny thing. And then as I got ready to leave, she slowly came over to me and held out her hand. Still wary, though. I was at a crossroads. Do I stay a good clown or become an evil clown? Do I shake her hand? Or do I grab her arm and laugh maniacally? Mwahahaha! I've got you now. Thus guaranteeing some psychologist a steady income. I shook her hand and I smiled and I wished her a happy birthday. And I left. Fear can be a crippling thing, especially when you're surrounded by clowns all day. Which ones are evil? Which ones are good? But how can you enjoy the party if you're running and hiding all the time? Even a five-year-old can hold out a hand and face fear head-on. Respect fear 
And sometimes if you do, you can see the clown for what he is, a clown. It doesn't mean you still don't have the fear. You just don't let that fear keep you from enjoying the party.
And that was Celtic Legend with The Boatman. Hi, and welcome back. In the studio today I have Jane Rayburn, the author of Celtic Wicca, Ancient Wisdom for the 21st Century, co-author of Building a Magical Relationship, The Five Points of Love with Cynthia Jane Collins, and also editor of The Pagan's Muse, Poems and Ritual, Invocation and Inspiration. And welcome. Thank you very much. I have to admit... When I first saw the title Celtic Wicca, I had some reservations. Uh, the Celtic culture having been lost centuries past, and Wicca being a fairly new religion uh, created by Gerald Gardner in the 50s. So I said to myself, how can there be a Celtic Wicca? And I was wondering if you'd like to explain that. Well, there can. Um, the history of Wicca is sort of one of... Um, uh, creative stealing, um, I mean borrowing, I mean adapting <laughs> <laughs> from other cultures, uh, from other streams of information in order to form a coherent whole that represents the values we have as Wiccans. Now, because Wiccans have lots and lots of different values, this can, this can be expressed in lots and lots of different ways. I started out in Wicca as a member of a quote-unquote Celtic coven uh, we were specifically interested in Welsh deities and information. But as I dug deeper, I found out that a lot of the information that I'd been given by my coven as historical was really not, was not the real deal. And so I took on the challenge of creating a Wicca that was using a real Celtic history as an inspiration without pretending to be what the ancient Celts did. In other words, let's be honest. Okay, this part of the ritual comes from a 9th century poem to Carradwen. Hey, that's real stuff. The rest of the ritual I wrote last week. Yeah. <laughs> um, this structure comes to us from Gerald Gardner, who adapted it from masonry and what have you and what have you. So, trying to be honest without going so far in the, in the reconstructionist area that you get bogged down in details and don't end up with something that's real and meaningful. I, I worked with the Celtic reconstructionist uh, groups through email and in person for a while and what I found is that there simply is not enough information. I was going to say now that the Celtic people really didn't have a written history. No. Um, most of what we get we get from the Greek culture and from different various writings that from other cultures about the Celts. So and we get we get information also from archaeology. We know certain things that were offered to the gods in sacred places that, that archaeologists can tell, okay, this really was a sacred place. And they've even found butter 
that's been preserved in a bog. Somebody mm. offered the, the product of their agricultural work, and, you know, we can speculate, okay, this was the first butter of the new season, or this was the first butter made from this particular cow, or but we have no idea why this person offered butter, who this person was. So that's the point at which we can say, all right, we don't have enough information to know why an offering of butter was made. Now, I know, for instance, that in the Greek and Roman eras, oil was a suitable offering. And in many places, and certainly in the Jewish tradition, we have Hanukkah, where the lamp oil lasted for longer than it was supposed to. But that oil went away. That was not found as an offering. Right, right. So, um, with the Celts, we just don't have a lot of information. And that's, that's... frustrating and a real blast at the same time Mm -hmm. because we'll never know. It's this great mystery. One of the things that I have done both on my own and with the group that I work with is to not try to get inside the heads of an ancient Celtic person, but to do some deep meditative work to try to build connections with the deities and with nature and come up with something that works on a spiritual level. Now you can say the gods told us to do this. Mm -hmm. You can say that it simply came out of a deep meditative group work. Uh, If you ask me which is right, I'll say both. One of the things I noticed in in your book is that you take the old gods and you actually make them, I guess the word I'm going to use is pertinent to a person's life today. And I think that's one of the things that I, that I really liked about your book was that it's very, very practical. So really what you did is you took the basic Wicca structure and just brought the Celtic gods into that structure. Am I getting that correct? Yeah. Not brought, it, brought them to it, but adapted the structure to fit what we know about the gods. Okay. Because we don't know what an offering in an ancient Celtic temple looked like. Right, right. We don't know how the rituals went back then. We don't know what anybody said. We don't know who was there. We don't know if it's men or women or children. We don't know. Um, you know, we know, for example, we have some evidence of animal and further back human sacrifice. We don't know how that went, what it was for, whether it worked. And um, certainly I'm not advocating return to either of those practices. <laughs> Um, I love my kitties. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I would say that pagans and Wiccans, as, as a, a rule, are some of the most animal-obsessed people I know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, so there are some ways, as you know, it, that's a great example. There are some ways in which what we know of ancient practices is simply not acceptable or workable in the modern world. As a religion, this isn't going to work if it isn't relevant to people's lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Catholics went through this with Vatican II. So it's important to me to be able to bring to other people and to myself a religion that um, lets me express my needs, that lets me form a connection with a, de- a deity that I think will understand and help me meet those needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and you saw that at the most recent Temple of Brigantia ritual, which you attended, where we honored the ancient deity Epona, mm-hmm. goddess of horses, and made an educated guess that people would have honored her 
out of concern for their horses, not only as avatars of the goddess, let us say, but also as their transportation and their source of prosperity. And so that ritual was to invoke Epona's protection on our transportation and our source of prosperity. We do it in December, which is uh, Epona's feast day in the Roman calendar is December 18th, but it's also very relevant to people here in New England because winter is coming on and that is the time when we are most concerned about keeping our cars on the road because there is more danger when we go out to do our daily business. So, you know, that's a real concern that all of us have. I don't want to run my car off the road on the ice. Uh, neither do I. And that's a <laughs> deep, you know, that's a really immediate concern. And what I love about this religion is that there are... I can connect with an ancient Celtic deity that I feel understands that because an ancient Celtic person didn't want their horse to stumble and break a leg on the ice. Right. But since, of course, we don't travel by horses nowadays... The closest, most of the time. Most of the time. The equivalent would be any other transportation that we use. Absolutely. Now, my Toyota is its a wonderful car, but it's not as cute as a horse. Um. Mm-hmm. It's more expensive to feed your Toyota, too. Well, it's a hybrid. <laughs> So now, let's say, like, um, we're going into Imbolc, mm-hmm. which traditionally is Bridget's holiday. Uh, how would you apply that same type? Like, if you were going to do an Imbolc ritual, how would you incorporate Bridget into a ritual that would apply today? Well, Bridget, of course, um, in history, we can draw on three basic aspects Uh, under which Bridget was worshipped. Healing, smithcraft, and poetry. All of those very important if you're living in a Celtic tribe. Not that irrelevant today, either. We all still care a lot about physical health. We all, and especially in February, we're all inclined to be a little down, and and, uh, people are falling on the ice and slipping and getting colds and so forth. We all are concerned about health. We all are concerned about poetry. If you take that as meaning the entire spectrum of creativity, and that's something that I think Wicca and pagan religions address in a way that other religions may make it a little harder to find a spiritual outlet. Although, you know, I'm sure there's lots of good Christian and Jewish and Hindu and Muslim poetry, I think that pagan religions really emphasize more the idea that creativity should be central to a person's life, that you need a creative outlet, and that you're not really a whole person unless you have one. Now, we have a lot of different ways of doing that, and so did the ancient Celts. There was crea- there was poetry, there was music, there was uh, storytelling, and all of these things were usually combined in the same person, but they didn't have to be. And... There was the creativity that came with making things and building things. Um, the Celts were very, very artistic. The, the Celtic artifacts that we have, some of them are so, so beautiful. They had this gorgeous curving line that was very characteristic of their art. And you saw incredible craftsmanship, a lot of work going into decorating the backside of a cloak pin that nobody would ever see. Hmm. Um, it was important. Now, is that something that you think just the artisan 
put in for his own benefit, since of course it would not be seen by anybody else. It, uh, and I will say his or her own benefit, certainly was part of it, um, but also um, the person who owned the object, uh, when it wasn't being worn, could look at it and admire it and feel good about. Uh, almost as a piece of art. Yeah. And if it were not being worn, you know, a lot of these things might be worn only on ceremonial occasions. And I'm guessing here. And I'm guessing based on reading some pretty decent history and following some really good historians. There's some wonderful, wonderful work out there. But I'm absolutely grateful to live in a society where we get to, to do this stuff, to explore the past and learn from it. Well, history, history, and, and you mentioned this in your book too, is, is very important. How would the average person go about finding information about the deity they wish to worship or the culture which they feel drawn to? Let me answer that, and then I'll get back to the Imbolc thing. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's Did okay. No, we were, we were in the middle of something. I know we were. Um, um, good history can be found at your local bookstore. It can be found at your local college library. I actually make a pilgrimage once a year to the Yale Library. Down in Connecticut? is in a beautiful, beautiful building. You walk in there and you just feel like, wow, books are important. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I do some research there and I sort of save up questions that I have that I'm not able to answer with the resources I have available here in, in northern New England. Now, is, now that's the... Uh, uh on the Yale campus down in New Haven, Connecticut. Absolutely. Um, do you need anything special to go into? The, is it an open library, or do you have to you be can, a student? You, you can get a Stax pass for ten dollars a day. Oh, okay. Um, so you know, this is a little bit of an investment. I will say that there is good information on the internet, but you really have to know what you're looking for, mm. and you really have to um, uh, taking on the study of history as part of a pagan practice requires learning how to discriminate between good and less good information. That's one thing I've noticed on the internet. There's a lot of pretend history, what people think, such as like the burning times. People have different concepts of what was it, did it actually happen, didn't it happen, when the evidence really shows that there really wasn't a lot of burning going on. Right, and the the pervasive myth of some ancient matriarchal society where goddesses were worshipped and women were in charge. Well, you know, that sounds good until you start thinking about it. And in point of fact, I think some of the most successful societies over time have been ones where even if power wasn't explicitly shared, there were ways for women to have and use power. And now I'm wandering way off topic, aren't I? Uh, but <laughs> oh, that's okay. I'm, I'm right there. I, I do the same <laughs> history thing. History is accessible. It's out there. It takes a little bit of dedication to find it. And it changes. Mm -hmm. The things that we believe about Stonehenge now, based on the best history that's available, are different from the things that were believed in the 70s, from the things that were believed in the 20s. And so... If you, you know, haunt used bookstores, the primary sources don't change. Somebody who um, translates, say, the Mithras liturgy from um, the ancient, oh crap, is it Persian? Uh, <laughs> 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 um, 
somebody who did that in 1910, well, you know what? That's still a valid thing. But somebody else going back knowing what we know now about that society will come up with a different translation and possibly a better one. Right. The going back to Imbol. I I've actually done the uh, a ritual around the the three aspects, the healing, the smithcraft and the poetry where Bridget also through the long association with St. Bridget and Bridget's fire at Kildare. It's Kildare, right? If mm-hmm. it isn't edited out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look that up. Thank yes. you. Um, um, we had three large candles in the ritual, um, different colors, one charged for healing, one for smithcraft, and one for poetry. Smithcraft is a little harder. Most of us don't work metal in our daily lives, but some of us do. Mm-hmm. And so I expand that to all of the practical creativity that we do in our lives. Not art, but um, creating a good meal. Uh, the creativity okay. that goes into raising a, a healthy, happy child. The creativity that goes into writing a good set of technical documentation for a computer program. Whatever it is that your work is, that you, that you create in your work, mm-hmm. that feeds you and and hopefully makes your world a better place. Um, let the jury uh, decide on the technical documentation part. Uh, <laughs> um, that's the Smithcraft part. And Cynthia Collins, who wrote Building a Magical Relationship with Me, has a theme that she talks about sometimes, which is everybody needs an art, a craft, and a science. Okay. Your art is what you do that's creative, that you do for no other reason than that it's creative. You're not trying to sell it, you're not, although you might later, you're not trying to, you know, impress anybody. The craft is something that you do that does create something beautiful and useful. And the science is something that it requires a certain amount of orderliness and if you can get three these three things balanced in your life, it's a good thing. That makes sense. Um and so that's kind of what the healing smithcraft and poetry is about. Smithcraft is the science, the healing is the craft, the poetry is the art. And so and then invited e- the, in this ritual when I do it, we invite each person to come up and light a small candle of their own from one or all or or two, one or two or three of the of the candles for whatever personal purposes they have that they want to in- invoke Bridget in their lives and of course by the end of the ritual you've got a whole bunch of people standing around holding a, a lit candle and it's beautiful so we've created something a form of poetry with light you mentioned um building a magical relationship that is the book that you co-authored with Cynthia Jane Collins. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, a long, long time ago, I was in a situation that many people have been in. I was in a bad relationship and it didn't work out. We broke up. And I had a lot of emotions about that and found myself really being blocked in my life by those emotions. And one of the things that I did which a lot of people do is I sought out self-help books. And what I found, and I may have just, you know, made some bad purchases here. What I found were that was there was these books that were coming at it from a very Christian perspective, you know, God wants you to stay with your husband. Well, he wasn't my husband and I hadn't consulted God on the subject and didn't intend to. And so the seed was planted in my mind. I wish there was a really good relationship book for pagans, not just like here's a nice hand fasting. And 
couple of years later, when I had started a much better relationship with a gentleman to whom I'm still married, I met Cynthia Jane Collins, who is a uh, licensed therapist. She's uh, uh, got her MDiv, and she is a pagan priestess. And she is specifically licensed and accredited in marriage and family therapy. And I said to her, hey, want to do a book? And she mm-hmm. said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so this is the result. And um, what we've tried to do is acknowledge the kinds of relationships that are acceptable and normal in the pagan world. We include examples of relationships between two people of the same gender of relationships that have more than two people in them, of relationships that have paganism as part of the fabric of issues surrounding the people, or that include people who are members of a coven and whose coven relation, whose coven interactions are part of the mix of issues surrounding them. And we organized it according to uh, the idea of a pentacle, Oh, the four mm-hmm. directions in the center, actually, sorry. They put a pentacle on the cover, so we just went with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, one of the deep, dark secrets is the author does not get to pick the title or the cover art. I um, have heard that. I was assigned the title Celtic Wicca by oh, the really? publisher before I wrote Word One. They said, we want a book on Celtic Wicca. Give us a proposal. And I did it. Wow. So, mm. you know, hey, I, I fulfilled the assignment. They have a book. And, it's called Celtic Wicca. And, and, and very well, too. Well, thank you. Aren't you sweet? <laughs> and this is Cynthia's information, but um, I'll, I'll go ahead and recite it. The, the five points of love are East is we acknowledge one another as equals. South is we decide things together in consensus when they apply to both, when they affect both of us. Okay. West is we are emotionally honest with one another. And oh boy, that's a hard one. North is we give and receive freely. And that is, that's a really tough one because it requires being able to set boundaries on I can give this much and no more. And it requires being able to set boundaries of I can receive this much and no more. And then the center is balance, taking all of these things and balancing them together. And we follow one fictional couple who has a very, very common problem through the book. Uh, George and Vicky. The problem between them is that they've been married for a while, they have a couple of kids, and Vicky has lost interest in sex. Very common problem, and we take them through to, I hope, a plausible resolution of it. It is not easy for either of them. They both have some work to do, um, but we take them through the four directions and center to a point where they are understanding one another better and able to reach out to one another in that way. It's more about the emotional side of relating to one another. It's more about the day-to-day living with one another. It's more about negotiating, okay, there are three partners in this relationship. How can we all get our needs met? Or two partners. You can even use it for a a relationship between yourself and the divine. The principles still apply. And it's, I hope, a useful tool. Um, it's not going to do the work for you. Well, yeah. every relationship takes an amount of work. Absolutely. A relationship with a friend takes work. A relationship with an employer certainly takes work. Mm-hmm. Um, a relationship with your neighbor takes work. What we were after was a, a, a roadmap for that work. 
and we definitely use examples and suggest people seeing therapists, but also using the tools of paganism, using tarot, using ritual to express what they need to say, to more closely understand their own feelings and those of their partners, and to say this religion gives you room to do that. We're not just about going out and getting laid. We are about building solid relationships for the future. Exactly. You know, if it, and we accept that there are going to be people out there who are just about going out and getting laid, and we, we understand that that's okay. Aphrodite yeah. and Venus and so forth are wonderful, wonderful deities. And, and I think it's important to also mention to my listeners who are new on the path that, unfortunately, now you and you will find this in any faith, in any religion, there are leaders out there, there are people who call themselves high priests and priestesses that are only out there, how would I say, uh, to to, get, to, for their own personal gratification. For, for their own personal gratification, absolutely. We, we had a situation some miles from here, and I, I will try very hard not to go into too many details, but a, a, a store owner of my acquaintance started getting teenagers coming in and looking at the pagan books and then asking questions like, why does being a pagan involve so much sex? And, you know, this is, first of all, illegal, and second of all, has the potential to be a big, big bad name for Wicca, for paganism, for whatever this person said they were practicing. Thirdly, it's just simply wrong. Using, you know, sexuality is, is sacred. We believe that very, very strong. Yes. And... Something that's sacred needs to be used wisely. Just as the earth is sacred and we need to use that wisely. Just as our minds are sacred, we we need to use them wisely. And um, sometimes we even manage it. Uh, (laughs) um, Any religion will have its share of bad people and crazy people in it. Certainly there are people who do nasty, rotten things in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Allah. And occasionally we will hear about people who do nasty, rotten things in the name of Jupiter or Juno or Bridget or Mm -hmm. Aphrodite. uh, Gets uh, abused quite a bit in this area, actually. Um, That's not what she's about if you get to know her. And that's not what a responsible pagan is about. And those of you who are younger, especially, uh, may find that there are people out there who will express an interest in you and will try to meet your needs because they are getting you to meet their needs. And that's why it's important to get to know people, to um, work with people you can trust. And sometimes this is very frustrating for young people because they want to get involved in a community. They want to get involved in a group. And -hmm. responsible groups have to say, legally, I can't take you as a student without a parent's permission. Right. Absolutely. And that's just one of those ongoing points of tension in paganism and Wicca as we know them today. And and the whole sex thing is another. There's always going to be this tension between people who believe paganism is about sexual freedom and people who believe paganism is about responsibility. Right. And, um, and I think I'm pretty clearly coming down on the responsibility side of things. Absolutely. Freedom and responsibility are not incompatible. There's a balance to be struck. Well, yeah, and I, and I really do think that that if you're going to have that freedom, you have to be responsible with it anyway. Mm-hmm. Because you otherwise know, you're abusing a gift from the gods. Absolutely. Now that sounds like a good segue to uh, talk about community. 
You know, we're talking about young people getting involved with the community. We're talking about, let, let's talk about people in general. Um, what are your views on the pagan community, both in your own neighborhoods and online? The internet has been a huge, huge bonus for pagans in terms of being able to find each other, in terms of being able to start and maintain groups and relationships and the kinds of structures that we need to start building. Um, I'm active in Cherry Hill Seminary. We do professional quality pagan education in the areas of um, pastoral care and counseling and public ministry. We just started a chaplaincy program, which is really, really exciting. Those are all things that sort of grown-up religions do, and we couldn't do them without the Internet. Mm-hmm. Um, because we are a minority religion, and we are far-flung. We do not, you know, for instance, there is a Zoroastrian community. That's a minority religion, but that's all people who moved here from Iran and ended up in the same few cities. We didn't do that. We sprung up in wherever we happened to be and find a book about paganism or any of the many other paths to a Wiccan or pagan path. Now, we're talking about actually uh, pagan ministers. Now, let me ask now, there, there are always going to be solitaires mm-hmm. in our faith. There are always going to be smaller covens. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see, I, I, and I see this now recently, where we're seeing more actual pagan churches come into play. And now my own, my own self, I feel that this is just gives a person another opportunity to interact with the community. How do you see, as far as now, uh, uh, I'll use an example, uh, the Church of Wicca down in, in uh, Massachusetts with uh, Dr. Reverend Kendra, or even some of the, the, the smaller circles like Forest Sanctuary, like, like your own Temple of Brigantia. The church, in quotes, is mm-hmm. a, um, it's a structure that comes out of Christianity, but it's also a legal structure. And pagans have found, some pagans have found, that there are ways they can use that legal structure to reach people and to do the work they feel called by the gods to do. We are, we are lucky in Maine in that any group can incorporate as an independent local church that gives you official status of a kind. Mm-hmm. It also gives you the chance to apply for a, tax exe- a sales tax exemption on things that you buy for your church your coven, your group, what have you, Grove. Uh, as far as I know, there is only one group that has successfully obtained this tax exemption, um, and that would be uh, Imminent Grove. And as far as I know, they don't use it very often, but they are. But they did it to prove that it could be done. Right. And, and, I, and, I, and, and I, I give them a lot of credit for, for um, paving the way there, and I think that's happening in places all over the country. And, and I think that also helps the smaller groups, too, uh, just from a legal precedent to uh, when when they become ready and they start to apply that that paganism is and I, I hate using the word legitimacy because I think the word is overused um, because I think a lot of people try a lot of pagans feel they need to prove the legitimacy mm-hmm. of their faith um, I don't my, my, my faith is legitimate to me, and that's all that matters. And I think most pagans feel the same way. Mm-hmm. 
I do see where we do want to be perceived as legitimate. There's um, society in general has opinions about us, and most of those opinions are negative, or they are. I, I think they're not negative. I think people just think we're a little weird. Um, mm. Now that may just be because I live in a liberal state where people tend to let each other alone. If I lived in the deep south, I might have a whole different view of how society views us. And so I, I'm going to acknowledge that, that there are different perceptions out there. Do I feel that I'm discriminated against because of my faith? No, I've never felt that. Do I feel that people think I'm a little strange? Sure, but, you know, they might think that if I was a Baptist. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I actually have uh, gone on record as saying that everyone is crazy. And people look at me and they say, I'm not crazy. And I go, yes, yes, you are. You just may not realize it because the people around you are crazier than you are. So you think you're sane. But just because you think you're sane doesn't mean you're sane. So I, I think I, I think everybody looks at everybody else as a little weird sometimes. The, um, uh, the struggle for legitimacy is something that I've invested some time in just because it's important to me. I like to feel like I belong to a community. And I like to feel like I belong in the place where I live and with the people that I hang out with. And I can do this by sort of becoming a separatist and only hanging out with pagans, but I don't want to do that mm -hmm. because I feel like I'm missing out on some great people that way. Um, and I feel like anybody who only hangs out with people of their own religion or race or whatever is, is also doing the same thing. Well, you, you start forming your own little cliques. And it's certainly comfortable to hang out with people who are like me, but I learn and grow by meeting and under, learning to understand people who are different from me. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I still have that need to belong. And so for me, uh, the work that I've done towards legitimacy is mostly taking the form of living a life that is responsible and well-run enough that somebody who doesn't know I'm pagan and finds out about it will get a positive image of paganism, of Wicca, because this person that they know, just this Jane that they know, is part of it. And I'm calling this the end of part one with my interview with author Jane Rayburn.
And that was Twilight Calling by Gaia Consort. And this is the part of the podcast where I get to share the love for my fellow pagan podcasters in Patio Land. And I just want to say, it seems like in the past year, there have been a lot of good pagan podcasts showing up on the interweb. And every one of them has their own style and format. And for me as a truck driver by day, this is the best thing since sliced bread. I've always kind of wondered what was the best thing before sliced bread, But that's probably a story for another episode. 
I'm going to play several minutes of promos for these podcasts, but I also wanted to take time to personally give these people a shout out. Again, all of them have different styles, different formats, and all of them are great. And if you're not listening to them, go and download them now. I want to give a shout out to Mojo and Sparrow over at the Wiggly and Way, Serenity at the Witch in the City, Lady Saren at Country Witch City Witch with Serenity, all of the crew over at Mid Michigan Pagan Podcast, Tommy Elf at From the Edge of the Circle, Dio and Mandy over at Dio Shadow, and Dave and Sandra over at Ravencast. And if I missed anybody, let me know. Now these next three, Lithe Wolf, Eric, Emmy, thank you for those great shout-outs. They mean a lot to me. For my listeners, these cats have wonderful shows. Lithe Wolf over at the Broom Closet, Eric over at the Forest at Night, and Emerald Deepwater over at Pagan Living. Download them. Each of them has a unique show and are fun to listen to, and all of them are giving so much back to the pagan community. And I'm glad to have all of these people as my friends here in Patio Land. And we still have a virtual vigil candle lit for Lansing Grail. We miss you guys. Each individual's path is their own to travel. Each individual's travels are shaped by their own experiences. Each individual's experiences can serve as signposts for others in their own travels. This is Tommy Elf, and this is my pagan podcast, From the Edge of the Circle. Come join me while I share not only my own experiences on a variety of topics, but also the experiences of you, the audience, through emails, Gizmo Project voicemails, and whatever other method you can get an answer to the show's upcoming topics. From the Edge of the Circle is a show geared towards you, as I am always willing and ready to tackle whatever topics you can toss my way. This may be my podcast, but I try to make the topics yours. You can find From the Edge of the Circle available for download via iTunes or by going directly to the Libsyn website at http colon slash slash edgeofcircle.libsyn.com That's E-D-G-E-O-F-C-I-R-C-L-E dot L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you via whatever medium that you can communicate with me through. Blessed be, and thank you for downloading the show. Hey, 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 hey! Are you looking for something more out of your gods? Are you looking for how to make the Norse gods a part of your life? Then join us at Ravencast. Check out ravencast.podbean.com. We have interviews, Ostru 101 casts, holiday specials, and much, much more. Check out ravencast.podbean.com. It's more hammer than you can handle. This is definitely not your mother witchcraft. (laughs) I don't know. Um... The best spell I ever did for employment was the get an application and fill it out and turn it back in spell. That one worked really well for me. If a guy couldn't fall in love with me without a love spell, is he really the guy? I don't know. Um, 
I love being pagan, but sometimes <laughs> I'm a witch and I'm proud. That's me, the witch in the city. Join Serenity for Witch in the City, where we discuss all things pagan. It's talk for the modern pagan. Got pagan issues? Got pagan concerns? Come and join our panel, a group of pagans walking different paths, having conversation and fellowship. Talking about everything pagan with a little flair and a lot of fun, but always from our heart. Just real people sharing our views with other modern day pagans. So come join us at Mid Michigan Pagan Podcast. You can find us on Pagan Radio Network. To find our show times, please go to www.paganradio.net. You can also find us on iTunes by searching for Mid Michigan Pagan Podcast. Or you can go to www.midmichiganpaganpodcast.podcastpeople.com. Feeling trapped in the broom closet? Oh, don't be so dramatic. You're in good company. Hi, I'm Live Wolf, and if you're a closeted pagan looking for a podcast that's tailor-made for you, check out The Broom Closet, a show that deals with matters of daily importance for Wiccans and other pagans who haven't gone public with their faith. You can find us on the web at thebroomclosetshow.blogspot.com, or search for us on iTunes under the spirituality category. The Broom Closet. Tight spots make for close company. This is Mojo. And this is Sparrow. From, from the, the Wiggly and Way. The Wiggly and Way is a pagan podcast that explores the many facets of living a magical lifestyle. We are two Wiccans practicing witchcraft in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. Join with us and explore your path on the Wigglyan Way. You can download us at thewigglyanway.libsyn.com. You can also find us using iTunes, we're at Podcast Pickle, and on Podcast Alley. Thanks, Thanks for, for walking, walking the Wigglyan Way. Oh, hello, Squire. What can I do for you? Uh, the Leotard is my factory. Uh, you know this is a fish market, right? The leotard is my factory. Oh, you want the forest at night? The forest at night. It's a new pagan podcast with your host, Eric. Pagan potpourri for the planetary pagan peoples with loads of randomness for good measure. Look them up on iTunes or visit the show at www.theforestatnight.com. Ah, I will not buy this record. It is scratched. Sorry, mate. You want the tobacconists next door. Tobacconists? Yes, tobacconists. Good morning. Well, I'm at the end of another episode. As always, all of the music on A Pagan Heart in Maine is used with the artist's permission. The background music is from Jerry Marchand's album, Celtic Cosmos. And write me if you have any comments or questions. I love to hear from all of you. And to end the show, this is Lorelai with My Fairy Tale Life. Until next time, I'm Grey Wolf. Great blessings.
Dream. 